Stafford, so oh. string, he would put his arm around his shoulder and, <laughs> and become a Hebra man of his, you That's, know, yeah, wow. focusedly and immediately. Um, so I think he would approve greatly that uh, we should all enjoy your, your learning and teaching in his memory. Wonderful. Thank you very much. And uh, his neshama should have an aliyah. Uh, in England, we wish everybody long life on a your side. Yeah, so I wish you long life, Chaim Aruchim, and brachot, smachot, always smachot. Uh, I just want to add, obviously, I can't let the event of last week go by without mentioning it, what happened in Meron. Um, as I said to my students yesterday, I, 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 there's no words, there's nothing you can say that even remotely touches on the tragedy of what happened last week. I just... Um, I want to mention uh, two of the people who were caught up in it. Um, one who was from Manchester, England, who I didn't know, but I think I know the family, a family called Bergman, who the son was, was learning in yeshiva and he was going to be a rov. He was really learning for smicha. It was uh, a light went out at that moment in Israel, which can't be replaced. The, um, the other person, which, again, my, my kids uh, knew from different connections. I, I know the grandparents uh, who live in Passaic, and that's the family of um, Donnie... Um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, Morris. Morris. I was going to say Marcus, yeah, but it's Morris. Yeah. Friends of ours from Rochester. Ah, okay. A lot of white connections. His that grandparents, his grandparents, Malka and um, Joel Morris, and their son uh, was one of my students. Really? Wow. And it was just, you know, I mean, they, 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 the family lives in Bergenfield, and that's where my kids know them from. And my daughter knows the grandparents. I think they live in Boca. I think they're actually down in Florida. So I, all I can say is that, you know, as you say in Yiddish Genug, we've had enough Tsaras and Lagba Omer, where you saw so much energy, so much dancing and simcha, and it ended up the way it ended up, is, is something I can't get my head around. But let's just dedicate our learning in memory of those special people of, uh, of our nation who were there to celebrate Lag Boma. They weren't, weren't doing anything more, anything less than that. And again, then the Shamas should all have an aliyah, all the people that were caught up in it. Um, I want to talk today a little bit of a finishing off uh, uh, session about the Book of Ruth. We have been studying the Book of Ruth um, with a little bit of an interruption over the last couple of sessions. But if you think back, we really did get through most of the chapters of the Book of Ruth. We started, remember, with the whole thing of the reason why Limelech leaves Eretz Israel, and we explained that there's a rabbi who makes a very controversial statement that he was raising an army. <laughs> I still find that absolutely amazing. He was raising an army which was going to come back to Eretz Israel with him in order to conquer Israel. He wanted to be the Shofet. All right, I, again, it's all online if you want to listen to it. Why you Torah, I think I managed to record most of those sessions and they are available. I'm not going to go over them now. We did talk a bit also about the question of Giyur, uh, conversion, which is a very big issue in the, in the Book of Ruth. We spoke a bit about what is Geula, what is this whole thing of redemption at the end, uh, what is going on. And today I just want to tie some loose ends to, to sort of, you know, make the packet um, presented sort of a finishing presentation. And, and also, and I think this is really important to link the events of the Book of Ruth to Shavuot, which a lot of people do. Every good rabbi gives a speech on that particular subject. But I found something so gorgeous, so delicious that I want to share it with you 
at the end. But firstly, the, the she has been advertised as, the, as Ruth, as part of the messianic enterprise. Now, for those people who are into Star Trek, this has nothing to do with the, enter- the, 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 you know, the enterprise. I'm not talking about space cadets over here. The messianic enterprise. What do I mean by that? And it's one of those things. I, again, I'm going to backtrack about 45 years. 45 years ago, approximately, the world was introduced, or uh, how should we say, it came about. There was a birth of something called Art Scroll, I'm going to call it Art Scroll Judaism, because really it is a movement in Judaism. And Art Scroll came around, in the late 70s, I think, is when the first books were, were printed. And one of the first items that they came out with, this even reached England, was the Megillot. They started, I think, with Megillot Esther, and then they got to the Book of Ruth. And remarkably, remarkably, in the Book of Ruth, and a lot of art scroll I have questions about. I mean, I love their Gemaras and I love their Mishnais and everything like that. There's nothing to compare to, and I'm using Yushalmis and it's phenomenal. The, some of the stuff that they've done in the wider sphere, uh, you know, lends itself to a certain amount of analysis, and that's fine. But what they did in the Book of Ruth, they had an introduction, and at the end of the introduction, they talk about this, sh- this subject of the Messianic Enterprise. It always caught my imagination, that title. So I want to share with you a little bit of what they're going to say. Today we're going to do two parts. Part number one is this, this discussion from Art Scroll, which I'm going to call sort of Kabbalistic, calm, Hasidic, whatever, that type of approach. You'll see what I mean in a minute. And then at the end, we're going to do a little bit of what I call good old-fashioned Zionism. We're going to have a Zionistic vote at the end, um, which will obviously link up uh, with Shavuot. And, of course, next week, Yom Yushalayim, one of the days which we still should, should recognize and say Hallel and all the important things that we do to remember Jerusalem, particularly on that day, which I still remember so vividly, uh, in 1967, when we all heard that, you know, Kotel Biyodeinu, Harabai Biyodeinu, who can forget those incredible moments? We'll start with the first point, the Messianic Enterprise. What do I mean? So the question is as follows. In the book of Ruth, right, as an example, we're dealing with Ruth as a Moabite lady, right, not Jewish, and we're dealing with Boaz, who is a descendant from a certain line of Jews, which we'll talk about in a minute. And what we have is, in the book of Ruth, we have Ruth marrying Boaz after her conversion, and the book ends with the chronology, and we know we read this right at the end, which goes from the Chumash, Breshit, which I'll talk about in a second, right through to the birth of King David. So the question really is, what is going on when we talk about David Amalek? We're talking about one essential item which goes from David right through Jewish history, and that is the concept of Mashiach, the concept of the Messiah. And the Messiah is Mashiach ben David. We know, we, this is a phrase we know, we know in Davening. David ben Yishai, David ben Yishai, and this is always going to be something which carries us through Jewish history. But let's just, you know, let's get out David's birth certificate, as it were, and let's check where he, where he comes from. What do they write on the birth certificate? So, on David's birth certificate, they wrote his great-grandmother was from Moab. She was a Moabite. And as, you, as I explained to you in the Shi'urim, that created a lot of problems. 
She converted, and she was allowed to, even though the Torah does not allow Moabites to become Jews, we explained that was the men, and the women were allowed. It was one of those quirks of Jewish tradition, known as Torah Shabal Peh. Fine. Now, what happens is that if we go back before Ruth, what is the origin of Moab? Go back to the Chumash Bereshit, and you get a guy called Lot. Lot is a guy we know, the nephew of Abraham, of Ramavina's nephew. Now what happens, Lot goes and sets up his uh, malucha, as it were, in a place called Sodom, not a very nice place, and the, 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 literally the ceiling falls in on them, and we know that at the end he escapes with his daughters and his wife turns into a pill of salt, whatever that, that means, and as a consequence... At one point, they look back and they see the city destroyed, and the daughters say that we must be the only women left alive in the world. They think that the whole world has been destroyed. And we know that there's a very unpleasant story there when the daughters say, if we are going to have another generation of children, we have to have relations with our father. It's going to be an incestuous relationship. And they get the father drunk, and then the first, child, the first daughter uh, conceives, and the second daughter... This is, this is wild stuff. And we know that one of the daughters conceives a child that is called Moab. Moab, Moab is from my father. Hot, I mean, you know, talk about announcing the whole story to the whole world, you know, what, what exactly is the origin of, of her family. It's, a, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But that is, so, so again, I'm looking at David's birth certificate, and I'm seeing not only Ruth, and I'm, I'm seeing not only a, a question mark in terms of her origin, but I go back to the origin of Moab. She's a Moabite. Where does Moab come from? And it comes out of incest. God, lower lane, it's a terrible thing. And that side of the birth certificate is very disturbing to me, right? I'm, I'm not comfortable with these origins. And, you know, it doesn't get any better if I go on the, as they say, on the, on the distaff side, right, as they say, and I'm going to look at, at, uh, at David's, you know, the, the origins through his father. Right? Let's see where David comes from, from the other side. Not, not from the grandmother, but from the grandfather. Who's, who's his great-grandfather? Boaz. Boaz, a very fine, respectable uh, Jew, and somebody who, you know, we, we, we've, we've spoken a lot about him. Uh, the Hebrew, Boaz, in him is strength. Strong man, okay? However, go back to Boaz's origins, and you go to a story, we read it in Sefer Breshid, of Yehuda and Tamar. What happened in that story, Yehuda? is in a situation where he's enticed by Tamar, he thinks that she's a harlot, and he doesn't know, uh, he's not sure who she is, and she entices him, and again, she conceives from him after the, the other sons have died, and it's a whole parsha over there by itself. And again, what is happening over there is what one can only describe as a very unpleasant part of our history. This is a real skeleton in the cupboard. And the problem with it is, is that out of that union between Yehuda and Tamar come a, a set of twins, and one of the twins we know is called Peretz, and the other twin is called Zerach. Peretz becomes the father of the line of kings. So Peretz becomes the person that we trace our descent from Peretz down through Boaz, down into a whole bunch of generations, Yishai, and then eventually David. And of course, if you go a bit further on, we're talking about Mashiach. 
So this exercise of opening the the, uh, the the cupboard here and seeing all the skeletons has or does create a very serious question. If David is to create the line, the messianic dynasty, which we're still looking forward to, and you know we must be getting close to this event, then for goodness sake, why is it clouded in such murky origins? The enterprise of Mashiach comes from what one can only describe as a very muddy, murky uh, collection of stories. You can add uh, Ruth's grandfather was Eglon, and he was not a, a, a nice person at all. He was the head of Mark, and it took Ehud, a whole story that Ehud had to go and kill him. And, you know, I mean, if you, j- if you start scratching around for all the different connections, it just gets muddier and muddier. And yet, out of that has got to come the light of Mashiach. So, the Art Scroll intro asks this fantastic question, I think is actually taken from uh, maybe Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Lutzata, I don't remember now where he gets it from. But the basic question is, why? Why does Mashiach have to come from such a murky story, or a collection of very dubious events? And the story of Boaz and Ruth in itself has a dubious side to it, because as much as Ruth does convert, but she goes to the threshing floor, you remember, she spends the night there with Boaz, and, and Naomi says, you go, and, and, and if, he, if he's interested, let's see what happens. You know, she's putting herself, she compromises her tzniyut in a way which she's totally uh, uncomfortable with, but even there there's something very murky. And and Art Scroll here, and, and to their credit, again, I don't know who wrote this, but it's probably Rabbi Sherman. Should be Gazun, he's not, not a youngster anymore. And he, I think, says something quite fabulous. He says like this, and I, this, is, this is where you get into the Kabbalistic philosophical stuff. I'll, pl- I'll explain it like this, because he says it's got to come from something murky, and he tells you why. He says, when we look at the world, and the Rambam talks about this in the uh, uh, various philosophical writings that the Rambam uh, mentions. This subject, there's a world that's got to be in balance. He says the world is in balance between good on one side and evil on the other side. And it's not a situation where you can have a world which is totally good or a world which is totally evil. It's got to be a balance between the two. And he explains simply, and this is what I call Jonathan Sachs' territory, and I'm not going to go into this in great depth. You can read his books and he goes into this. But the basic concept is simple. If I've got balance of evil and good, or good and evil, and I choose good as opposed to evil, which is equally as tempting, and I still choose good, I deserve brownie points. I get a reward. And that's the way that it works, that my choices, my free choice between good and evil is such that if I choose the good, I get a reward, and if I choose the bad, I expect the punishment. It sort of works like that, but it only works if good and evil are on an equal par, on an equal footing. As soon as the world gets to a situation where there is, there is something missing, which is goodness is taken away, then it turns all the other way around, where evil is taken away, then goodness also has to be removed. I'll tell you what I mean. It's not a coincidence. At the beginning of the Bait Sheni, the second temple, there was a, there's a story in the Gemara, it's in Gemara Yuma, it's just coming up, the page of day people. Dafyomi is another, another ten days, I think the story comes up there. And it says that the Jews were 
petrified at the beginning of the second temple that the sins that destroyed the first temple are going to come back again. Particularly idolatry. They just couldn't control it. Idolatry was out of control. So what they did, they prayed, the men of the great assembly, right, the 120 rabbis, they got together, that's quite a serious bearded collection, and they all daven, and you know what, it says a fire went up to heaven, and the, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination for idolatry, went away, it disappeared, wow, and, and we don't have idolatry, to, or you can argue there's different forms of idolatry, but the actual real deal, idolatry, the Baal and all the other stuff they talk about, that's history. That's ancient history. Go to the British Museum and you can read all about it. However, what is so interesting is at the same time that idolatry went away, prophecy went away as well. There's no nevoah. The end of the prophets is the beginning of the second temple. The last three prophets were men of the great assembly, uh, ending with Malachi, and that's it. No more prophecy. So what happened was the world got out of balance because evil was reduced, because idolatry went away. But at the same time, what happened to prophecy? It had to be reduced. That, that aspect of holiness was also reduced. So the world is now back in balance again. Now again, this is a, it's a Kabbalistic idea, and it's, it's also a very philosophical idea. This idea of balance, and, it, and it's something we can talk about before Rosh Hashanah, it, it's got a lot of, of ramifications for tshuva, and I don't want to go in that direction. But what I want to say to you is the following, because this is so interesting. He says, says the art school, and he, and he brings this, so, so it's such an interesting thing. I think from the Chavitz Chaim he brings this. He says that what happened with the Mashiach, the Messianic enterprise, is it's a very holy, holy enterprise. We want to do something which is going to bring salvation to the world, whatever that means. The world is going to become a different type of world. However, in order to bring such a holy enterprise into the world, there's going to be an increase of holiness, but at the same time, the level of evil to counteract holiness is going to get stronger. Right? We're living in a world today where there are things which are happening around us, which clearly, as holy as the enterprise positively is to bring Mashiach, the world is becoming a very difficult place in terms of so many things which we don't find particularly holy. Let's, let's put it like that, but it's, it's, it's a lot worse than we think. The reality of it is that there is this constant challenge that when we are looking at a world which has got to produce something very holy, there's going to be a counterbalance of an extra input of impurity, unholiness. And says Rabbi Artsgur, and he says something fascinating. He says in order to prevent this unholiness, this level of Tumah, from spoiling the Kedusha, because it, it's an interest in stopping the Messianic enterprise happening, we kind of deceive the Satan. There's a concept. Satan is another word for, for for evil. We deceive it. How do we deceive it? By couching something holy in very unholy circumstances. The Mashiach is coming from David. That birth certificate, as soon as the Satan reads it, as soon as this element of evil in the world reads it, 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 it just goes on to something else. It's not interested. Because what do you read? You read that David comes from 
Ruth, and he comes from 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 uh, uh, from from Lot and his daughters, and you know this is the, the the Satan is happy. The element of evil is happy because it's what he lives on. This is this is all the bad stuff. So says the article that in order for the messianic enterprise to happen, without being totally thrown off 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 direction by the negative elements in the world, you've got to have the positive elements, the holiness couched in these events which seem to be unholy. And it's so interesting. He brings the Hasidic idea, and many of you come across this, something called Nitzotzot. I love this idea. The idea of sparks, that there were throughout history sparks of holiness. Those of you electricians will really like this because it's it's, it's, it's sort of thing you experience from time to time. The idea that that spark comes out of nowhere, right? You know, you're, you're mending your plug, all of a sudden, boom, and the whole thing sort of, you know, makes sparks. Not a good thing. But in this case, the sparks are very interesting. There comes in history these elements, these holy sparks, nitzotzot shel kedusha, and they are gathered by God from different eras in, in, in world history, in Jewish history, until they all come together to produce the final holiness of Mashiach. So where does this initial spark come from? It comes from Lot. It comes from Lot. Now he has the connection to Avram Avinu. But of course there is a lot of negative stuff going on around Lot. He lives in Sodom and everything else. So that spark is there, but it's very hidden. And where does it get inflamed? Where does it start lighting itself? When it, when it reaches Ruth, which is many hundreds of years later, and that spark begins to flame, it begins to, to, to ignite. And then, of course, by the time you get down to David Amela, you've got someone who imbues the world with such Kedushah, and has come from these sparks which have not been affected by the balance of evil working against it. The rea- it's a very difficult concept, this, but I, th- I, I like the idea. The, therefore, the concept is that, that, that these sparks can continue to... To, to, to receive their energy, their spiritual energy, till you get to a point when we can look at a world which will have a messianic um, uh, um, a development and, and obviously coming of Mashiach and, 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 and the world beyond that. What we're basically saying is that holiness is kind of hidden over here. In every story that leads up to David's, what I'm calling his birth certificate, every story there is an element, there's a spark of holiness, but it's hidden under all the dross of the events that take place. And um, Asgore argues, and he, and he brings this again from, as I said, I think it's from uh, Rav Lutzata, that he says this is a, a, um, a, a connection, as it were, with 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 uh, um, uh, from the book of Ruth to the to the to the mentioning of David, one of the things that we ask: Why do you read the book of Ruth on Shavuot? And the answer is because book of Ruth represents at the end the line which goes from Peretz all the way back to Yehud and Tamar, and it's the last verses of the book of Ruth right through to the story of David. So, of course, why do we read that at this particular time? Because Shavuot is the birth of David Amalek, the day when he was born, we believe, and also the day when he died. And therefore, this is, by definition, 
the book of Ruth is part of that process of creating Mashiach, even though it looks so, what's the word, dubious or coming from such a negative place. It doesn't matter. Because out of that unholiness, there is a nitzotzot, there are sparks. And I tell you where, where I felt this. I, I, was, I, I had a privilege, twice, or over 25 years ago, to take students to Poland. And we were there in Krakow, Friday night. And Krakow is it's just worth seeing. It's like a film set. I've never seen a place like it. And we were in shul. And the shul is the Ramosh. There was only one shul functioning in Krakow at that time. And they had a restaurant next door to the shul, and we were sitting down for Friday night dinner. And next to us, there were a whole bunch of people sitting there who did not look Jewish. I'll be honest, they really didn't. They looked Polish. And what are they doing sitting there having Friday night dinner? So I asked my guide, and I said, who are these people? He said, these are people you would not believe. They will tell you that their mother was told by her mother, in other words, their grandmother, was a woman who took in a Jewish child during World War II. And this Jewish child was taken in by the non-Jewish, now the grandmother, who may be alive or may not be alive. And this woman, the grandmother, was looking after the child, brought up the child as a Catholic, because Poland's a Catholic country. What happened was that the child became herself a mother, and now has her own children, and the people sitting on the table next door are the grandchildren, the next generation, who found out that their grandmother, in fact, was not really the grandmother, but she'd looked after a Jewish child from the ghetto, either Warsaw or whatever it was. Unbelievable story. And it, I, I sat there, and I was, I, I was in shock, because they're watching us. They want to find out what it is to be Jewish. What do you do? How do you make Amotzi? And how do you make Kiddush? And how do you sing Zmirot? And it was very emotional. And I felt, where is this energy coming from that motivates them? This is the Nitzotzon. These sparks, they, they, they don't go away. They, they end up in, in, in covered over in, of years. Imagine being brought up as a Catholic and being told after 50 years that you're Jewish. I mean, that's a pretty terrible thing. If you think about it, it's, it's, it's soul-destroying for them. But this is the next generation. So the mother, who is now 60 years old, can't change from being a Catholic. But the children want to know what it is to be Jewish. And they were sitting there with us on Friday night, and it was, it was unbelievable. It really was unforgettable. And this is why I'm saying, you know, we talk about Pintaliyid, but it's more than that. It's the sparks which go through the generations, and they land in a certain place. They may be covered over. It's like diamonds. You need to polish them. You need to clean them. But once they're clean, whoosh, they really do start to shine. And that is one of the messages of the book of Ruth. Don't worry about David's origins. Don't worry about where he's coming from. Because you know what? In the end of the day, those sparks came into David Amela and the dynasty was established. And from David Amelech were going down through history, Shlomo and beyond, and please God to the Mashiach Tzikona. It's just unbelievable. So even though everything seems to come from such murky origins, it, there's a purpose to the murkiness. There's a reason for that to happen, and there is a beautiful Beautiful message here. Obviously, in terms, I never. I cried yesterday. I heard one of the parents uh, of of one of the boys that died in in Miran, and he sat there in his in the shiva um, with the with the TV people around him, and he said the message for Am Yisrael is we are all Jews together. Doesn't matter. And this is a Haredi guy, and he's saying doesn't matter if you're with a kippah, if you're without a kippah, if you're Ashkenazi. So I went through all the whole list. Everything, things I couldn't even mention. And 
all of it. In the end of the day, were Jews, and this is a moment for Achdut Shal Am Yisrael. He said the unity of the Jewish people, because it happened. People came together. Unfortunately, we know it happens in tragedy, but this was the idea. In David Amelach is that same essence. The unity of Am Yisrael comes together. Those sparks of history come together in the per- in the person of David. And even in David's life, there were moments like the story of Bathsheba, which is a whole story which I'm not going to get into now, but the, the, even there, there's, there's elements of doubt. Because you're hiding the sparks. Even in such a person like David, there are going to be episodes which cover over the elements of Kedushah because they should not be damaged. They're, they're being uh, you know, sort of preserved. They're, they're being kept in a pristine way, but not on show. It's hidden. It's, 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 it's within. Look at the book of Tehillim and you'll see the inner essence of David Amela. David Amelech is, is, is unbelievable, but that's, that's going to be a whole other series. I, I have to talk about David because I, 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 I tell my students in, at college, I'm the head of the fan club. If you want to join the David Amela fan club, speak to me because he's the greatest. Uh, I always warn them, by the way, don't date David Amela. Because if you date him, he is going to be a wild date. Because this is a guy in the middle of, in the middle of your dinner. He's going to start up and, you know, like Braslav, he's going to be dancing around the room because he's got an inspiration of God. A very difficult guy to deal with, but such an interesting person. That holiness is contained, is enveloped, is, 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 is embellished by the presence, by the beautiful neshama of David Amela. Unbelievable. And... There is a chazal which gives me the, ch- the shivers. They say that Adam was meant to live for a thousand years. And he lived for 930 years. So what happened to the 70 years? He's missing 70. He should, you know, should, he want his money back. Adam, it says, he gave 70 years so that David Amalek should live. Unbelievable. In other words, according to the plan, David Amalek was not on the list of people to come around when he was meant to come around. So he was given that, that, that essence of life from the birth of, from the life of Adam, Adam HaRishon. And I guess Chazal are trying to say that even if David would never have happened, he had to happen. Because David represents that beautiful holiness of the messianic enterprise, as I called it, which is something that we are very much in the throes with the state of Israel and everything that is happening to us in these days. And I, I want to share that with you, even if it's a bit off the charts, what I just said. <laughs> you know, I just want you to be aware of this beautiful idea of the sparks of Kedusha. And they may be hidden, and they may not be there, but everybody has got something in them which is a holy spark. It's a holy uh, essence. And of course, this is, as I said, very Hasidic, very Kabbalistic almost. No, it is Kabbalistic, but it's, it's such a beautiful idea. And I, I just want to, again, I'm looking at the time and I've got maybe another few minutes and I just want to end um, with another theme which sort of links up to the whole discussion that we're having about the connection between Shavuot and the Book of Ruth. Because it, we spoke about now, about David, and in, 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 I hope the, the point was, was clearly sort of put out, even if it's difficult to understand. But there's a whole literature out there of the connection between the Book of Ruth and the um, the festival of Shavuot. We read it on Shavuot. Very nice. 
you know, and uh, this always upsets me that, particularly if you've stayed up all night, you know, when you're, and in Israel, it's only one day. So you're reading the book of Ruth, you're literally half asleep. And you're missing the beauty of this, this very, very wonderful Sefer. If anything came out of this Urim through COVID that you will remember, I hope it will be that we studied the book of Ruth together. Because that's something which should, you know, push away all the gloom, all the darkness that we actually managed to study and to get some, some of the sparks from the book of Ruth, if you want to put it like that. But I just want to share with you just some of the ideas, but one very major idea which I want to end with. Why do we read the book of Ruth on Shavuot? So there's a famous rabbi called Abu Daham, right? Uh, Rav David, I think I've, I've announced, uh, pronounced it properly, Abu Draham. There is a family in New York, Abu Draham. It's uh, interesting that they're, they're descended from this famous rabbi. He lived in the 14th century. So he, he gave a whole discussion. He said Shavuot is the festival of the harvest. And of course, what's the story in the book of Ruth? It's all about harvest, right? The barley and then the wheat and everything else. Fine. That's reason number one. He gave another reason, which obviously he said is to do with the conversion. Because the book of Ruth is about conversion. As we've studied the conversion of Ruth, etc. And of course, on Shavuot, we became the Jewish people. Till we received the Torah, we were... Uh, some, some say even to the status of Bnei Noach, we were still considered to be halachically not Jewish, and there were, there's a lot of halachic differences, but when it came to the Shavuot, that's when we became really Jewish, to, to quote the phrase. Um, and that's another connection, and of course the most beautiful ideas of Chesed, something that we've emphasized over and over again, that the Book of Ruth is so full of the, the essence, the beauty of Chesed, how Ruth looks after Naomi, and Naomi looks after Ruth. They're caring for each other, and, they, and, and, and what, what is so heartbreaking at the beginning is the lack of Chesed, people running away from their responsibility. Elimelech doesn't want to know. He, he runs out of Eretz Israel because he doesn't want all these people knocking on his door for money. He, he, he is avoiding his, uh, his responsibility, and we're told he was the, the leading man of the generation, and he still runs away. So the book of Ruth is an antidote. It's the, 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 the answer to the problem. The problem was a lack of chesed for that generation, maybe for a number of generations, and the book of Ruth became an established uh, story of kindness. You read the book of Ruth, and you understand what was missing in the Jewish people, and what we need as Am Yisrael, as we saw with, with Miron and all the other events that, have, that, that, that happened to us, that Am Yisrael comes together. It may be a time of tragedy, but that's when we really do become one nation. It's unbelievable. It always, it's, 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 it's just frightening how, how it happens like that, but at the same time, it's something that should give us comfort. However, he says another thing, which, uh, um, or rather, he doesn't say this, this is not a Buddha I had a wonderful um, experience in London during my study of my master's, and there was a, an, an Israeli academic. An Israeli academic coming to London for a year, and the gentleman's name was, is um, Reb Moshe uh, Tzvi Gruzman. I, I'm sure you haven't heard of him. A lecturer at Bar-Ilan, head of the Talmud department at Bar-Ilan. And he spent a year in London, and I got schmoozing with him. You know, he sit in the library, so... Yishmuz, you find out who he is, etc. And I, I, I met up with him in Israel, and a very, very fine, unique person. And he's written some very, very beautiful Sfarim. And in his um, uh, talks and his lectures on the holiday of Shavuot, he 
gives the following message. He says, what we've said till now is very nice. These are elements of the Book of Ruth, the kindness and the conversion. These are specific elements in the Book of Ruth that link it to the holiday of Shavuot. But what is the essence of the Book of Ruth that links it to the holiday of Shavuot? What is the, the deepest connection that, that he can suggest? And he, and he answers this with being very Jewish with a question. And what's the question? The question goes like this. We have the holiday of Pesach. What is it? Zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. We remember the going out of Egypt. And we have the holiday of Sukkot. Zechel Yitziat Mitzrayim. We sat in the booths for 40 years and, you know, etc., etc., etc. He says that's very nice that we have all of these reminders of leaving Egypt. But there's, there's, an, there's another part to the story. The second part of the story is we came to Eretz Yisrael. And not only did we arrive there, we went in. Yeshua took us into Eretz Yisrael. It's a wonderful thing. But where is it reflected in our holiday schedule? Right? I've got all these things reminding me of the desert and all the rest of it. Where am I reminded of this beautiful event of coming in to Eretz Yisrael? And he says that is Shavuot. He says, what's the main festival, element of the festival Shavuot? Chag Habikurim. You go to Israel today and you'll see all the high schools, even the secular high school, they do a ceremony, which is the Bikurim. They, they, they reenact this idea of bringing the new fruits, and of course the fruits in Israel are magnificent. And it's all part, but we would, in, in Christian terms, it was always called the the, 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 the the Pentecost, right? That's what they would call it. But we know it as Chag Bikurim, and it was the bringing of those new fruits to the Beit HaMikdash, and that is the celebration of Eretz Yisrael coming into Eretz Yisrael. When do we do that? On Shavuot. And he says something absolutely magnificent. He says that in this case, the beauty of the Book of Ruth is now perfectly understood to be read on Shavuot. Because what is the Book of Ruth in essence saying to us? It's saying to us that the Jew leaves Eretz Israel, he becomes weak. Elimelech goes outside Eretz Israel, and within a short period of time, he's gone. And even his sons, who big machas, eh, Machlon and Kilion, within a short period of time, they're gone. And the tragedy of Jewish existence outside Eretz Israel, as we know, the simulation race, I don't even want to go into all that, it's challenging. But what the book of Ruth says to us is that the Jew who comes back to Eretz Israel, Naomi, who brings Ruth, and of course she's there, and then Boaz who is in Eretz Israel, that's when the Jew, Boaz, he's a strong person. That's when the Jew is really, really strong. And today we see it. We see the, 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 the you know, the, the, uh, the Sahal, that the God should bless every one of them. It's what they are doing and the way that they protect the population. Not always easy to do, but we should pray for everyone because look at this concept of, 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 of the army and what it represents. I, my, my wife's cousin told me, I, I did my army service when I lived in Israel, and he said, when you get your uniform, you should say Shechiyonu. Not even if it's, even if it's not new, because for you, this is something new. What's new? That for 2,000 years we had no army. And now we have, we've got an army, we should say Shechiyonu, on the fact that we are able to look out and protect ourselves with God's help.
And that is an incredible thing. Eretz Yisrael, the Jew is strong. The Jew is powerful. The Jew can do anything. Look at the way the, the, the land was, was changed from a desert into, a, into a, a, a blossoming land. More and more. And now to the world, we're sending stuff to India. Was a, just read today about this whole thing with COVID in India. What a, what a disaster it is. Who's sending them help? From Israel. They're sending them the, all, the, all, the, all the stuff that they can send. It, it's just un- unbelievable. All because the Jew is in Eretz Israel. Where do we see this message? The underlying message of the book of Ruth. When they are, the family is outside Israel, it's Ochen Vey. When they come back to Eretz Israel, it's incredible. And I just want to add one thing. Of course, that then if that links up to Shavuot, because Shavuot is, as we say, the festival of the first fruits, which is the celebration of coming into Eretz Israel. I just want to add one thought, because we did do this analysis when we studied the book of Ruth. I used the, the terminology, big picture, small picture. Because the book of Ruth really works like that. Small picture, the, the events that go from, from, from one person to the next to the next. But there's big picture. The big picture of the messianic enterprise, as we said at the beginning. The big picture of the book of Ruth is that this is part of a... a, an, a, a a whole historical development which is going from the beginning to the end of time, which we are calling Mashiach, the messianic uh, um, uh, development. And what is so beautiful is that we read the book of Ruth on, on Shavuot, because I would argue Torah is the same for us in terms of this division between small picture and big picture. What do I mean? Torah is something that for every individual is, is what we are as Jews. How we conduct ourselves between one person and the next. Even if it's just a kindness, a good word, a, a, a good morning, or whatever it may be, this is all part of what we understand as Torah. Small picture. But Torah has an enormous big picture for the world. Before the Torah came along, the world was Hefka. They could do whatever they wanted. The morality did not exist. They were pagans. Along comes the Torah, and it says to the world, you've got to be holy. Kedoshim to you. You've got to have a standard of, of, of behavior, of moral behavior. Ethical mon- monotheism and all the other um, f- expressions that we know. Torah became for the world, not just for Amisor, for the whole world, big picture, such an influence to this very day. The morality of the Bible is something which is understood throughout. They, a lot of people argue, that's why they hate us for it, because we, we, we brought it into the world. The world wanted to carry on, to be nice and, uh, and, and without, without any limitations. And we said, no, there is a morality which is expected, a certain moral behavior. But the fact is that that is the big picture of Torah. So we come to Shavuot, and we open that beautiful book of Ruth, and we think about the Jew in Eretz Israel and the fact that we celebrate Eretz Israel and Shavuot with the Bikurim. And then we think about what the Torah represents and what the book of Ruth represents. In the small picture, this, this interaction between people, which is so important, and the big picture of what the book of Ruth is, the development of Mashiach and everything that comes from it, we hope, we pray that it will be very soon. And the Torah itself, how beautiful it is, small picture, how Torah gives us the way to interact, the way to deal with problems and issues and, and, and between different people and, and all the, all the nitty gritty of Jewish life. But at the same time, big picture what it meant for the world. And I would add, this again was something which, for instance, somebody like Jonathan Sachs was really 
into the big picture of what Torah is because he spread it throughout the world to his credit. And that's something I can't, you know, it, it's, just, it's just beyond belief that he's not around still doing that. That in itself is an incredible thing. But the books are there, the, the, the learning is there. Whatever, whatever, whatever inspires you. For this year, you know, coming out of COVID, I think one should all, we should all aim to have that sense of inspiration from Torah learning that we can get from either from shiurim, from listening to somebody, or from reading that book that maybe we, ha- we haven't read for a number of years, we, we need to revisit it. Whatever, whatever it is that gives you that sense of connection to Jewish life. Now is the time when we're coming out of the, 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 the COVID madness that we've been living in to reevaluate, to re, you know, to, to, to what's the word that, uh, um, you know, we have to recalculate our, our, our lives, everything that we are as Jews. And I so believe that it's so significant that now at this point, the holiday of Shavuot with the book of Ruth and the message is coming now as we're coming out of COVID because I think it's not a coincidence. This should give us the strength to go through the summer to develop whatever we can. Our connection to Torah should become as strong, as, as even stronger that it is at the moment. And of course, our connection to Eretz Israel. We're dying. I'm literally dying to get on that plane to go to Israel. I don't know about you guys. I can't, I, I'm just it's driving me crazy and we're waiting for the Israeli government to say yeah, if you're from New Jersey you can come New York, you've got to wait for another bit you know, I, I don't care as long as I can prove I'm New Jersey I, I, I'm getting on the plane, you know what I'm saying let's wait and, and, and please God very soon we'll be told we can go back and have the ability to go to, go to Eretz Israel to breathe that, 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 those, those fumes of holiness which you get from Eretz Israel it doesn't matter where you go in Israel there's something very special about the place and Bezrat Hashem, this should be a, a, something to think about Yom Rishulayim, should think about Shavuot, and I would argue from here on, this is maybe part, what we had to go through with COVID is another part of the process, which I, I've called here the Messianic process, I don't know. Let's hope that it is, and you know, that we've done whatever we could, we've moved forward, and please God, we will achieve that ultimate, the ultimate light, the Nitzatzot, the, the sparks of holiness will come together, and it will be Mashiach time. It will be time for Mashiach. Uh, I hope this... Uh, I didn't want to sound too... Uh, what's the word? Off, off, my, off my head today. You know, you may say, you may say, oh, the rabbi's lost it a little bit. But I wanted to sort of be slightly different. The, the beauty of Eretz Israel doesn't go away. But this idea of what the Book of Ruth represents in terms of bringing that holiness, focusing it in the world, I think is really a beautiful, beautiful idea. Take out your art score. It may now be 50 years old, that book. You never know. I think one of the original books will now be 50 years old, 45 years old. But read that introduction. It's beautiful. It's, it's, I would say, as, as always, worth buying the book for that particular introduction. The rest of it is not bad, but that introduction is very special. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful hug. You know, really something to be excited about, please God, coming up very soon. A fantastic summer. I hope that we still meet again before the summer hits, as they say. Uh, I'd like to think that we can do maybe at least one more session in May. But I'll talk to Elise and sort of work out the date. Um, I'm thinking of talking about the, the... If we're ready, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's have a bit more analysis, something that we all take for granted. Bezrat Hashem, it should be a good summer. It should be a summer where we come out of all the limitations that we're in to a, to a light, 
to a, to a summer of blessing and please God to Mashiach Bimher Biyomenu. I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you, Thank you Rabbi Shaffer. I want to welcome and recognize my brother David and my mom because they weren't here at the beginning when oh. I mentioned that it was uh, sponsored in my uh, our father's memory. Um, but you did. It was a beautiful, beautiful shiur. And I appreciate the, it. The connection that it made for me was that you know, in thinking about the chesed that comes from the book of Ruth and the inspiration of that, that we always knew my father to be an incredibly generous and, and kind and gracious person who just extended himself for so many people. But after he passed away, we heard so many stories we didn't even know. That's and. Uh, that's Remarkable. One little one was an employee who said that, you know, he was really had fallen on hard times when he started working for my father, and my father did take in many people into the company that he had, which David now runs. Um, but anyway, this man said to him, you know, I got the paycheck, but there's an extra $50 bill in there. It must yeah. have been a mistake. Yeah. And, and he said it wasn't a mistake, and, and with every paycheck for a number of months, there was an extra bill that was in there, you know, and it was a quiet private little thing that was never shared and, until. It, and it stays forever it never yeah. they remember it my father also he gave a chess set to a young man probably 75 years ago that guy is now 80 years old and he contacted my sister about my father because he saw something on facebook and he was connected i remember your dad gave me a chess set i never forgot it he was a kid, and he, and that inspired this kid to to learn jazz. I mean, you know, and it was it was Lower East Side. It was the equivalent, and, and yeah, these are these are acts of kindness. They never go away. In fact, they are. That's that's what the world stands on: Altera, Avodah, and Gemilut Chasadim. No question in my mind. Shkuch. Thank you. He also, he also, uh, you talked about the sparks. He was always looking for the sparks in people. Huh. He could see, right. and he could always see the Jewish spark in them. And he, he always wanted people to get to, to take on more, to get inspired, to come to shul. He was a real, he was really a, a, a wonderful missionary. You know, whoever he knew, he, he saw, he saw, he just, he just loved Jewish people. He was and a Jewish always, salesman. Yeah, is what they said. Really? Wow. <laughs> But he did whatever he uh, That's beautiful. inspired to bring people on. That's By the way, your, your analogy about the evil and the good, and if there's more good, there's got to be more evil, it reminds me of the, in, in the practice and this, this conservation of weight. You know, if someone's gaining weight, someone's, someone's losing weight. This is not for me, up. by the way. You're not talking to me. You talk to everybody. <laughs> pick up the weight because there's only a certain amount of weight in the world. <laughs> so so I, I thought about your idea. We trick Satan and we make these That's really right. decadent looking desserts, but they're healthy. Yeah. Then he doesn't know, and that's how we can lose weight. That's and, and look at that's it. Ken, look at the art score. He brings that as uh, he talks about that. Tri you know these things that we dilute. Sometimes we trick ourselves, but it's all part of a process. Very interesting. You're right. You're 100 percent correct. Uh, slightly depressing point, but uh, from my point of view, I'm trying. Uh, but at the same time, color coverage, go well, and we're losing weight. We're okay. And that's it. That's it. You know that scale. That, that I've got to throw it out one day. It's killing me. Uh, I, again, I wish everybody erev tov. I hope that this gave you some food for thought for Shavuot. Thank you, Rabbi. And Hashem. We look forward to, you know, to seeing each other again very, very soon. I, uh, I'm very excited. Thank you, everybody. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. To you too. Chag Sameach to everybody. Thank you.